Welcome to Trinity United Methodist Church in Duncanville, Texas. You lost your job, the kids are failing, and the money is about to run out. But don't worry, God won't give you more than you can handle. Does saying this really help? Join us for the message, God won't give you more than you can handle, as we explore what the Bible doesn't say. Good morning and welcome to worship here at Trinity United Methodist Church in Duncanville, Texas. Imagine, you've lost your job, the kids are failing, the money's about to run out, but don't worry, God won't give you more than you can handle. Does saying this actually ever help? Well, we're going to be talking about that a little bit later on in our message, God won't give you more than you can handle, which is part of our sermon series, What the Bible Doesn't Say. This morning's scripture is first from the book of Isaiah, chapter 40, verses 28 through 31. Listen now for the word of God. Have you not known? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He does not faint or grow weary. His understanding is unsearchable. He gives power to the faint and strengthens the powerless. Even youths will faint and be weary, and the young will fall exhausted. But those who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. And now from 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 1 through 5 and 11 through 13. I do not want you to be unaware, brothers and sisters, that our ancestors were all under the cloud and all passed through the sea and all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea and all ate the same spiritual food and all drank the same spiritual drink for they drank from the spiritual rock was Christ. Nevertheless, God was not pleased with most of them and they were struck down in the wilderness. These things happened to them to serve as an example, and they were written down to instruct us on whom the ends of the ages have come. So if you think you are standing, watch out that you do not fall. No testing has overtaken you that is not common to everyone. God is faithful, and he will not let you be tested beyond your strength. But with the testing, he will also provide the way out so that you may be able to endure it. This is the word of God for the people of God. When I was in seminary at Perkins at SMU, I had a professor who co-taught my introduction to worship class, Michael Hahn. He was a professor of sacred music and his specialty was world music, that is hymns and church music from around the world. And because of his specialty, he, for years, he attended a multitude of consortiums and workshops and seminars that were held around the world with people from all around the world. And this ended up giving him a very unique perspective on observing cultural differences. And one of his observations concerned people whose native language was English. Now, since English is the closest thing that we have to a world language, uh, most of these seminars, regardless of where they occurred, were conducted in English. Nevertheless, those for whom English was their native language 
had a reputation for being much louder and more boisterous than non-native English speakers. And so this would include persons from the United States, Canada, Great Britain, Ireland, New Zealand, and Australia. And of these, the very loudest and most boisterous were Americans and Australians. <laughs> well, Western civilization as a whole is much more individualistic than any other major culture in history. And this is especially true of those whose national heritage can be traced back to the British Isles. And as you know, with the exception of Ireland, all the countries where English, or excuse me, English is the native tongue started off as colonies of Great Britain. And into these colonies poured people from both Great Britain and Ireland. And you could actually call this the first great Brexit. And I can bet that almost everyone here in the sanctuary has roots that reach back to the British Isles, and probably, if you're like me, through multiple branches of the family. Now, the individualism of Western civilization as a whole got magnified in Great Britain and then was just sent around the world through its colonies. I do think, though, just an interesting observation that even though we Americans uh, have inherited our penchant for individualism from Great Britain, we have a fascinating twist of that in 20th century British fantasy literature. Now, the Brits certainly have their individual heroes. Think of Bond, James Bond. <laughs> but in the great genre of this 20th century British fantasy literature, the hero is never alone. Think about in C.S. Lewis's Chronicles of Narnia. The children from Earth are never sent to Narnia just by themselves. Once they're there, they have friends that are from Narnia that offer their aid, and it seems like Aslan the noble lion is always just around the corner about to be summoned. In J.R.R. Uh, Tolkien's Lord of the Rings, Frodo is that earnest hobbit who is charged with returning the one ring of power to Mount Doom to destroy it. Yet he's also accompanied, at least part of the way, by the Fellowship of the Ring, and he's accompanied pretty much the whole way by his loyal companion, Samwise Gamgee, and his nemesis, Gollum. And if it weren't for both Samwise and Gollum, he would never have been able to accomplish this goal without them. And finally, in J.K. Rowling's Harry Potter series, there is no doubt that the title character is the one whose birth has been prophesied. But there's also no doubt that Harry will never be able to destroy the evil Lord Voldemort without the help of his allies and especially his best friends, Ron and Hermione. And whenever Harry is praised for something he's accomplished, he always says, I had help, and that he doesn't deserve all the credit. And, and you know, he's actually right. But nonetheless, this British individualism remains, and nowhere did this individualism get more focused than in the American colonies. And as a result, the United States has the most individualistic culture of any country, I think, that has ever existed. And therefore, Americans are louder than any other people on the planet. Uh, even every gathering of Americans is a collection of individuals, each striving to be heard. Now, back when my family was traveling around the world, I always felt just a little guilty when we entered a restaurant, because Americans were the loudest people on the planet, and we grainers are loud even by American standards. And add to the fact that about half of us are deaf and that there was always at least 15 of us, we were the loudest people 
everywhere we went in the world. Now, we Americans value individualism, and we've even added a very common adjective to it, rugged individualism. We idealize those frontier men and women and those settlers who were continually pushing the limits of our nation westward. And think about it, even in popular culture, we've got American TV shows like 24 or The Equalizer and movies such as The Equalizer as well as the Die Hard series that celebrate that lone hero, a hero who on his own saves the day by sheer grit and determination. I think our admiration of that lone hero ties into one of those sayings that we often hear and that we sometimes say that sounds biblical. And that saying is, God won't give you more than you can handle. And when we say God won't give you more than you can handle, we certainly mean it as a word of encouragement to those that are going through a difficult time. It conveys a confidence in that person that they'll have the personal resources to weather the crisis. It kind of reinforces the idea that you can be the lone hero of your own life, the one who overcomes all the obstacles and all the uh, difficulties that emerges and that you will come out stronger on the other side. Now this is the third in a sermon series on common sayings that are often thought to be verses from the Bible, yet in fact are not found in the Bible. Yet when it comes to the saying, God won't give you more than you can handle, there is a biblical verse that comes close to saying that, so that many people, even people who are very familiar with the Bible, will often say that yes, this saying, God won't give you more than you can handle, is found in the Bible. And that verse is 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13, that uh, Norma read earlier. No testing has overtaken you that is not common to everyone. God is faithful, and he will not let you be tested beyond your strength. But with the testing, he will also provide the way out so that you may be able to endure it. So let's take a closer look then at this verse. I often teach... Uh, about the task of interpreting the Bible. And I always compare it. Think about what a realtor says when you ask what's, what's the most important thing about real estate. What do they say? It's location, location, location. And similarly, the first three most important things about interpreting the Bible is context, context, context. What is the context of any verse or passage that you're trying to interpret? So when it comes to our 1 Corinthians verse, we have to look again at the context that is the surrounding passage to understand it. And when we read the beginning of the chapter, we realize that Paul here in 1 Corinthians is, is making reference to the ancient Israelites who were freed by God from their slavery in Egypt many eons ago. And he begins this chapter saying, I do not want you to be unaware, brothers and sisters, about our ancestors. God was not pleased with most of them, and they were struck down in the wilderness. And then Paul then retells the story of how the ancient Israelites succumbed to temptation of idolatry. They worshipped the, the golden calf with disastrous consequences. And later they complained about the hard life they found there in the desert and the time that it was taking to get to the promised land. And so with that result, we have the story in the book of Numbers about poisonous snakes that come upon the people and that many died. Therefore, in this verse in question, this verse 13, Paul is talking specifically 
about temptations to sin. And the Greek word here that is translated testing in our New Revised Standard Version can be translated as temptation. And most scholars think that in the context of what Paul is talking about, he's talking about sin, and therefore this word should be translated as temptation. And so let's hear this, this word, excuse me, this verse again using the word temptation instead of testing. No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to everyone. God is faithful and he will not let you be tempted beyond your strength. But with the temptation, he'll also provide the way out so that you may be able to endure it. So once you see the context of this verse, we understand that the saying, God won't give you more than you can handle, is really kind of a misquote that does not accurately convey either the verse specifically nor the larger passage. Now, it's certainly true that there is not any temptation to sin that we face that has not been faced by human beings for millennia. But what this verse really promises is that God will always help you find a way out of that temptation to sin. And our problem, though, is that we often so fail to follow that trail out of that temptation that God provides. In fact, sometimes we willfully ignore it. We do need to pay attention also to the Lord's Prayer, especially that part where we pray, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Now, because we, the traditional uh, Lord's Prayer is, you, we use the King James English, that line, lead us not into temptation, sounds like God is leading us into temptation and we're begging God, don't lead us there. And so really in modern English, it would be better to say, lead us away from temptation and deliver us from evil. So now that we can see that while the Bible says that you'll never face a temptation to sin from which God cannot rescue you, this is not really the same thing as saying God won't give you more than you can handle. So does the saying God won't give you more than you can handle have any validity? Does the Bible ever promise that you will never face hardships or difficulties that you will be unable to handle? And the short answer to that is no. Many psychotherapists, all psychotherapists, including Christian therapists, would certainly answer no because their entire careers are based upon the fact that people, even Christians, routinely face things in life that they find overwhelming and are therefore in need of some help. And the fact that some people, and again, even some Christians, will sometimes feel so hopeless that they attempt and sometimes succeed in committing suicide means that every day people face things that they cannot handle. So when we say God won't hand won't give you more than you can handle, we mean it as encouragement, and many people receive it as encouragement. And many people have found it genuinely helpful. And yet at the same time, the saying, just taking it face value, has some troubling ramifications. First of all, it implies that God is the one who's given you all these troubles that you're facing in the first place. In a way, it's saying God sent you every single one of the hardships that you're dealing with, and God will continue to send more hardships to you until you are just short 
of your breaking point, and only then will God let up. God won't give you more than you can handle ends up running again into those same problems that we discussed in our first sermon concerning the saying, everything happens for a reason. Now, the, the author, uh, Adam Hamilton, many of you are familiar with him. He's the senior pastor of the Church of the Resurrection in suburban Kansas City. Uh, I tried to look this up on Google, and I couldn't find this definitively. But Church of the Resurrection is one of the largest and perhaps the largest United Methodist Church in the world. And he wrote a book about many of these same sayings that are not found in the Bible. And in his book, uh, when he preached on this saying, God won't, hand, uh, won't give you more than you can handle, later he received this letter from one of his parishioners. In response to your question about God not giving us more than we can handle, if someone tells me this one more time, I, I may lose it. First of all, God didn't cause my husband to beat me. He didn't make my brother commit suicide. He didn't plant the IED that my nephew hit, which will result in him losing his leg. And he didn't give my best friend cancer. I could go on, but you get the idea. And she's right. God did not cause these things. These things are not the will of God. Her sufferings are not part of some perfect plan that was laid out by God ahead of time. They're instead just part, they're, they're just an expression of the reality of human existence. I mean, think about the very famous 23rd Psalm. It, do, it does not say, if I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. It says, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil. For you are with me, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. So in other words, at some point in time, all of us, and maybe more than once, will have to walk through that valley. And yet we have this promise, you are with me, thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. And in 1 Peter we read, cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. So here's the truth, at least as I see it. In a sense, God gives us more than we can handle all the time. That's the reason we need God, because we cannot handle it on our own. So God is there. God is there to hold us when we can't hold up ourselves. God is there to comfort and to strengthen us. God is there to enable us to weave goodness from evil and light from darkness and light from death. I like the way one person says it, God enables us to kick at the darkness until it bleeds light, which I love that. And think about the, the very famous poem, many of you like it, I love it, Footprints. You promised me, Lord, that if I followed you, you would walk with me always, but I've noticed that during the most trying periods of my life, there has only been one set of footprints in the sand. Why, when I needed you most, have you not been there for me? The Lord replied, the years when you have seen only one set of footprints, my child, is when I carried you. I know there have been times in my life when I have been so mired in grief and depression that God had to carry me through that. I think the most important way that God carries us is through other people. 
That same woman whose letter I read earlier went on to write, I absolutely reject the idea that all these horrible things were God's will. What I do know beyond a shadow of a doubt is that he is helping me cope. It's not easy, but I know that I am never alone, even if it feels that way sometimes. I know I can turn to God and cry and kick and scream, and he will comfort me. I can thank him for connecting me with the attorney that helped me get out of my abusive marriage. I can thank him for giving me the strength to talk about my brother's suicide in the hopes that it might be helpful to someone else. I can thank him for allowing my nephew to live instead of die. God is turning the challenges and using them for good. Remember also that scripture passage that we read last week about the paralytic who was healed by Jesus. And remember that he would not have been able to even get to Jesus if his friends hadn't carried him and been willing to tear through that roof. And I think like the paralytic, we also have stretcher bearers in our own lives who help us handle it all. And often it is our friends and family that have to, to carry us to that place of healing. And think about it. Would even Jesus himself been able to accomplish his mission without his friends, the 12 disciples? In the church in Galatia, Paul wrote, bear one another's burdens, and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. And likewise, we should bear each other's burdens because we're, we're not only the body of Christ sent out to a broken world, we're the body of Christ for each other. Together, we can handle all that's been given to us. The reality is that the Bible doesn't really care much about individualism. Most of the Bible concerns itself with one of two great communities through which God has worked the divine will, the nation of Israel and the church, the body of Christ. So in the end, we are not rugged individualists. We are members of a community. We're members of the church, the body of Christ, whose other name is Emmanuel, which means God is with us. So therefore, we need God and we need each other. Maybe it's not that God won't give you more than you can handle. Maybe it's that God will help you handle all that you have been given. Because have you not known, have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God. He gives power to the faint and strengthens the powerless. Even youths will faint and be weary and the young will fall exhausted. But those who wait for the Lord will renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. Amen. Now receive this benediction. May the blessing of God give us strength for the journey. May the spirit of wisdom give us vision for the road. And may the love of Christ make us caring companions as together we go from this place. In the name of the Father and the Son of the Holy Spirit. Amen. We hope today's service was a blessing to you. Join us every Sunday here on Facebook Live at 11 a.m. Next week, we continue our sermon series, What the Bible Doesn't Say, with the message, God said it, I believe it, that settles it. You can always access our services through our website, tumcd.org, our Facebook page, our YouTube channel, and our podcast, Jane's Most Excellent Church Adventure. 
If you like what you're hearing, you can also support our ministry with your gift through our website, tumcd.org. God bless you in the week ahead, and we'll see you Sunday at Trinity United Methodist Church.